Whether you call them pomme de terre, patatas, kartoflin, ardapalin, kartoshka, bitartan, batatas, jimanaki, poroti, tudu, alu, or just good old spuds, welcome to Planet Potato. Hello, I'm Anna Lambert, and I'm a potato fan. And I'm Cedric Porter, I'm a potato fan too, but I'm also the editor of World Potato Markets. And we're here on Planet Potato to look at all the weird and wonderful things that the potato brings to our everyday lives. So what have we been looking at recently, Seds? Well, I've had another stop on the virtual tour of Planet Potato. Mm -hmm. A few episodes ago, we visited Peru to see where the uh, potato originated from. Uh, And we've hopped up uh, to North America now. We're going to Idaho. And that is the most important potato state in the US and world famous for its potatoes. Mm, and good. how about you, Anna? Um, I've been talking to renowned block printer Molly Marn about the way in which um, she's embraced the potato and it's transformed her working life during lockdown. So we'll be hearing more about that later. Oh, I can't, can't, yeah, I can't wait to hear that. So, firstly, off we go to Idaho. I spoke to Ross Johnson, International Marketing Director at the Idaho Potato Commission, which promotes Idaho's potatoes. He described why the state's location between the Pacific states of Oregon and Washington in the west and the volcanic Yellowstone National Park in the east makes it ideal for growing potatoes. What the volcano did was leave a lot of volcanic ash in the soil uh, before this land was settled which has all given our potatoes extra nutrients uh, that they don't get anywhere else in the world that I'm aware of. And we also enjoy a nice high desert atmosphere, which means that we have very warm days, but our evenings cool off. So we have temperature fluctuations anywhere from from 30 to 40 degrees Fahrenheit uh, between our, our temperature highs during the day and our lows in the evening which is very good for the plants to be able to, to regenerate and, and drive that growth for the potato. Where does the water come from for, for potatoes? So potatoes do like their water? Yeah, so it comes from those very same mountains. We, we have a very mountainous uh, area around us. And so a lot of that's, those mountains catch the snow in the winter and all throughout the spring and summer uh, we get that beautiful runoff which flows through the rivers and throughout the years of, of irrigation we've been able to see uh, a lot of advances in being able to uh, extract that water out of the rivers and get them to our, our acres of, of potatoes and other crops that we have in the state. Potatoes were first grown in Idaho in the middle of the 19th century but it wasn't until the 1870s they established themselves as a major crop. Ross told me where those early potatoes were sold. They stayed here in the West, you know, uh, mainly Utah, California, uh, where a lot of the population was happening. There was a a lot of happenings because there was a gold rush uh, going on in the country. And so that encouraged a lot of migration West and even even more populations to settle uh, out in those areas. Today, the state grows more than 300,000 acres or 120,000 hectares of potatoes, twice the area of any other U.S. state. About 55% of Idaho's potatoes are made into products like frozen fries, 
with the rest being served up fresh on tables in America and beyond. But COVID-19 has impacted on potato sales this year. Obviously, this season has been one that's not like any other. Have you seen um, what, what's been the, the, the impact on sales of both um, processed products and, and fresh table potatoes? When, when we first heard news of the COVID uh, pandemic that was, was starting uh, to transpire across the world, potato prices were probably at the highest levels that we had ever seen uh, here in our domestic market. And unfortunately, once our government started shutting down, states started closing restaurants in order to try to protect, you know, the health of our of our citizens, that really drastically affected the sales of potatoes in the food service sector, so much so that it dropped prices uh, drastically low. Never experienced anything like that. Um, you're talking prices that were anywhere from thirty to forty dollars a hundred weight, all the way down to under ten dollars a hundred weight. Uh, it was really hard on a lot of our growers and a lot of our farmers, and there was a lot of pain. And I think that that's really the positive that's come out of this is so many of them pitched in to help each other. Uh, we heard, you know, a lot of our processors turned back. Some potatoes that, uh, that were contracted to be turned into French fries. And a lot of our farmers pitched in and tried to work through some of those potatoes in order to try to, to sell as many as they could, uh, whether it was to food banks or uh, other processors that might have different uses for them. And what we're seeing right now is that the market is really turning around in a different way, which is good news. Uh, we are seeing that consumers love to eat out. They love their French fries. And so we're hopeful that, that we'll get back to a little bit more normalcy as, as we head into the new crop. You know, when this pandemic was happening, that's really when they were making their decisions about how much to plant for the upcoming year. And thankfully, you know, we think that, that this upcoming year might be okay, but, you know, you never can tell. Potatoes that are grown in Idaho are certified by the Commission and carry a special logo. That's exactly right. We refer to it as the Idaho seal. Uh, we have a fun saying, you know it's real when you see the seal. So any potatoes of Idaho, uh, whether it's in a 50-pound box or in a, a, a mesh bag, poly bag, you will find the Idaho potato seal on that. And that is something that the farmers themselves agreed to because we want to ensure the rest of the world that, you know, only the only quality of potato that you can expect from Idaho is a very high quality potato. As part of Idaho's potato marketing campaign, many Americans will have seen a giant Idaho potato at fairs, parades and other events. So, yeah, we do have an Idaho potato truck. Uh, the truck travels all across the country and it, it started a little over 10 years ago as a fun idea to really get directly to the consumer with the fascination that we have as a country in the potato itself. So the truck, uh, every year we go out and we find uh, new ambassadors to travel with the truck. Uh, so we usually have one driver and two ambassadors that travel across the United States. And last year alone, they, they attended over a hundred different events, festivals, parades, 
uh, and, and traveled over 35,000 miles. The current truck is the second of its kind. The first one has not been scrapped or mashed, but brought back to near Idaho's capital of Boise for a very special use. When we decided to retire the, the other potato uh, after it had journeyed a good long life, um, we had an idea to turn it into an actual vacation destination. So we now have an official Idaho Potato Hotel where people can travel and they can come stay at a potato. So you can literally open up the front of the potato, walk inside. It's got a beautiful bed uh, and TV in there. And uh, it even has a cow uh, there on the property that you can pet and play with. Uh, but it's, it's uh, quite, quite an experience. Speaking to Ross, it is clear that the potato plays an important part in the life of every Idahoan. This is how he spends his new year. Usually some of the biggest cities in the world have something unique uh, that, that draws people to come for New Year's celebrations. So you've got the, you know, in Times Square in New York, you've got the, the apple drop or, or the ball dropping in, in New York. But in Idaho, we actually have a massive potato that drops every year uh, in downtown Boise. And it is quite a lot of fun uh, that we have in ringing in the new year. Ross finished off with his favorite fact about the Idaho potato. My favorite fact, uh, we learned this last year when we did a little calculation, but we understand that there are 412 pounds of Idaho potatoes consumed every second. Wow, 412 pounds a second. That is quite some statistic. Yeah, that's nearly a fifth of a ton, a ton of potatoes. Goodness me. And I also loved the bit um, about the potato dropping to mark New Year. Yeah, so you can see it on YouTube, a massive potato. There's a countdown and there's yeah. a massive potato comes down into yeah. a great big bucket of fries, prompting some fireworks. Uh, you'll have to watch it. Uh, it's difficult to describe, but you have to watch it. Well, so I want to add that to our list then. We could go we could go to um, the potato hotel in the summer, the German one, for our holiday potatoes list. And then for New Year, we could go and stay in the uh, Idaho potato on Airbnb. And uh, yeah, and then see in the New Year watching the potato drop. Sounds brilliant, Seds. Certainly does. So what was the book you were telling me about as well? Yeah, you can go to idahopotatoes.com uh, and get a free book there and download a free book called The Aristocrat in a burlap or the aristocrat in burlap and what's burlap burlap is that sort of hessian uh, jute uh, sacking that they put potatoes uh, in uh, most famously worn uh, by marilyn monroe oh yeah There's that's pictures. a fan- that's a fantastic anecdote we must explore that yeah. another issue pictures of marilyn in a burlap sack burlap potato sack yeah so there we go so what's the contents in the book though just say yeah so it's all about potatoes in idaho uh history of potatoes and some more fun facts about potatoes in idaho sounds like a must read another must read there we go and uh Anna, you've been speaking to Molly Marn uh, about potato printing, haven't you? I have, and Molly's a big fan of a big potato, so she'd like the Idaho varieties. Um, She says the bigger the potato, the better the print, basically. Uh, Molly is UK-based, but has a growing international reputation as a 
textile and wallpaper designer using these fantastic block prints in really vibrant colours. And recently she's discovered a whole new uh, following by showing people how to produce fantastic potato prints. So I caught up with her in her busy online schedule to find out how she got into potato printing as a medium. So I hadn't potato printed and then I got into the whole world of block printing. And while I was writing my book that's just come out, we actually talked about whether the projects in the back should be created using potatoes so that it was really accessible to everyone. And actually, I have to admit, I was a bit snobby about it and said, no, no, I print with wooden or lino blocks. That's what I want to show. And that's what I want people to kind of understand. And so my book didn't take on potato printing. And then we come to lockdown. And I now offer um, a, a, a range of block printing workshops across the country. And they're lovely. We get a lovely group of people together and they use all my wooden blocks and we create napkins or tablecloths, lovely items together. And all of those came to a grinding halt because of COVID. And so I felt so deflated about that because again, it's the printing in a community that I really love. It's seeing everybody else's excitement from printing that gives me a buzz as well. And so I just thought, oh no, this is just so, we'd worked so hard to make our schedule as well. And I couldn't bear the thought of being literally locked down and cut off from that whole lovely community. So it really was quite intuitive. I didn't spend very much time thinking about it, but I just thought I have a, an Instagram platform. You know, what everybody was feeling so panicky and sort of worried. And I know that for me, when I feel anxious or nervous, I go to something creative and I do something creative and it definitely slows the heartbeat down, does all these sort of powerful things to the mind as well. And I just thought, how am I gonna share this when no one has the materials? So I had to put my snobbery away and get out a potato. And I have to say, actually, I was sort of surprised by myself with what one could achieve. And I thought, well, this is fun. I'm going to do this with my children during our home education at home. And why not just make a little video about it? I just did the little video for fun because I post things on Instagram. And it was really just going to be a sort of one-off video. And I just had the most overwhelmingly lovely response to it. And everybody really engaged. Actually, you know, what was so great is that we all have a potato lurking in the cupboard or the larder or the fridge somewhere. So it was something you could all do and we could all find utensils in our drawers that we could use to cut it in half, carve a pattern. You know, it was just so easy to access. And actually, we also all have pots of paint somewhere in our cupboards, whether it's a tester pot of emulsion paint or if you've got children some poster paints or something lurking in the back of the cupboard you can print with anything so it was just a really lovely fresh way of having a change of scene and going and doing something creative and creating pretty pattern which is what I probably do best really. <laughs> how does a potato compare to a wooden block? As a well actually again it, it has great um, it has a great advantage because with a wooden block, you have to uh, create a very padded table area that you're going to print on because wood onto wood would, wouldn't really print. And that's the same for lino. You have to have a very nice, even layered sort of something that takes the kind of pressure away from the wooden block pressing down. So you get that in your potato. So it really is as simple as being able to put a sheet of paper on the kitchen table and you've got this lovely give in the potato 
which enables you or your child or anyone to press the potato down and get a brilliant result. And in terms of the actual wet surface of the potato when you've cut it, do you have to dry it off before you start? Yes, you do. I always forget to say that in my videos. And <laughs> yes, so when you've cut, when you've sliced your potato in half, and I really recommend using as large a potato as you can, so you've got a lovely, nice surface area. Once you've cut it in half, it does sort of, um, it has got a bit of moisture in it, and you just take that away with a kitchen roll or something. Um, and then you've got a lovely, clean surface to print with. And actually you can print with your potato for quite a few days, wrap it up in some tin foil or put it in a bit of Tupperware, keep it in your fridge and it keeps going for a while. It won't last forever. But I think there's something also quite beautiful in the transient. We're hoping lockdown doesn't last forever. These sort of everybody doing these things probably won't last forever. We will resume a degree of normal activity again. And I quite like that, that in the potato, you're in the moment, you've got to use it, you're going to print with it. And then you can slice off anything that hasn't got paint on it and cook it as well. And surfaces that you could print on with your potato, what would you okay. recommend? Okay, so, yeah, definitely. I mean, when I say paper, that could be wrapping paper, cards, and then you can print on almost any fabrics. I mean, I would only ever print on cotton or linen. I haven't tried silk, and I wouldn't try anything that was more sort of chunky than a lightweight linen. And if you're bringing out an old fabric, you want to wash it gently with a sort of eco product. You don't want anything with bleach in it. Wash it gently and then you're good to go. But obviously for that, you'd need to buy online some special fabric paint if it's going to last. Yeah. So if you're going to print on paper, as I said, yes, you could use pots of old um, tester paint emulsion or poster paint, any kind of gouache paint, anything like that. If you're going to print on fabric, you've got to use a specific fabric paint there are lots out there that you can get. They might be called screen printing paint. And um, the texture of it needs to be, and I haven't quite worked out what the word is for this yet. You don't want it too thick and you don't want it too thin. They all come in different sort of thicknesses, consistencies. And I generally work mine out and I might water it down a bit. And you want it to be, well, you want it to be a nice, comfortable layer on your potato. If it runs away, it's just afraid too runny and some of them are. And if you can't quite get it onto your potato, it's too thick and you need to add a bit of water. It's all about experimenting and playing. And you just have to keep going till you get a lovely print on your paper or on your fabric, and then you're off. And these fabric paints all have to be heat set. So all my fabrics that are printed in India are all set under the heat of the sun um, because they have plenty of that and it's a really high temperature. We're not always so lucky here. And so if you're using a fabric paint, you will have to iron set it afterwards. Um, if you're doing something like a cushion, you're not so likely to be washing it as often, but it's for your tea towels or your napkins, you really need to make sure you heat set it properly. And you do that by waiting for your piece of fabric to dry and then putting it face down on your ironing board and ironing from behind. And it's quite a long, slow iron. You need to give it a listen to a podcast, hey? <laughs> and iron gently for a while and that will set it and then you can wash it and it's as good as any fabric. And are people sending you in the results of their own potato printing? We have been bombarded and it's so lovely. Yes, people have shared their work and I think uh, in the first instance it shows the pride that has been found in this simple pleasurable process of potato printing and we're all quite kind of down on ourselves about what we might be able to make or whether it's going to be any good and I think with potato printing 
And it's the same with my block printing. We call it perfect imperfections. It's not meant to be perfect. It's meant to be something pleasing. And you've got to be kind of confident that you can, we are all as humans, we are all makers. We can all create. And all of those things are so important that has been kind of knocked out of us at an early age. And I just think it's, yeah, be confident when you do it. Forget all this, maybe you were told you weren't artistic. We are, we are creatives. And I think it's so good to free yourself and allow that to happen. And so I do, I think, place your block, your potato down with confidence and just go for it, you know? It's the process, isn't it a brilliant vegetable? <laughs> Great to hear another potato fan coming from a completely different angle. I love the way she, when she's finished with the potatoes, she just cleans them off and uh, eats them. Yep, makes full use of the spud and has done so much to encourage other people to explore the potatoes' creative potential. Um, As Molly said, her book, House of Print, is available via all good booksellers and her website, which is www.mollymahn.com. Molly Mahn, and that's spelt M-O-L-L-Y-M-A-H-O-N. And if you want to follow her and see all the wonderful things she does on Instagram, She's at Molly Marn Block Printing, at Molly Marn Block Printing. Um, she also mentioned a really exciting sounding potato print auction initiative that she's hoping to get going as a charity fundraiser. So when we hear more about that, of course, we'll be letting you know. Yeah, I'll be looking forward to that one. So I suppose it's that time with Planet Potato to look at the uh, the names of potatoes, the variety names. Oh. Uh, and I think we've got to the F's and the G's. And boy, have we got a treat for you. Coming all the way from sunny Spain, accompanied by his own classical Spanish guitar, we bring you Miguel Muthientes. strains there of Miguel Muthientes and his Spanish guitar certainly raising the bar when it came to recitation of the F's and G's of potato varieties, right, Seds? He surely did. Uh, If you think you can do as well or or even better than Miguel in reading the potato names and representing your country, please get in touch with us. Uh, You can email us at info at worldpotatomarkets.com info at worldpotatomarkets.com or you can follow us on Twitter at planetpotatopod at planetpotatopod Yeah, and do get in touch because we love hearing from you. We certainly do. So, Anna, what have we learnt uh, on Planet Potato this time? Well, from Molly, um, we've learned that uh, creativity, 
Potato-based creativity, or indeed any sort of creativity, is as much about the process as it is about the end result, and that the perfectly imperfect is absolutely good enough. We now know that we uh, the world eats 412 pounds of Idaho potatoes every second, uh, and that you can sleep in a giant Idaho potato. Oh, and we also learned, and we we touched on the fact that Marilyn Monroe herself once modelled an Idaho potato sack. There you go. So that's something we definitely need to follow up on in a future episode of Planet Potato. We certainly do. So I guess it just remains for us to say whether you're baking, roasting, mashing, boiling, or frying, lash pa la patate, lash pa la patate. Don't let go of the potato. potato.